0: Attack from behind, then get the hell out and away. Questions, comments, motions?
1: Fred Bracciani of TSC Gaming. We have right here on the line a very special guest. She is an actress. She is somebody that's a part of one of the biggest video games in recent years. We're talking about Cyberpunk 2077. We are talking to Emily Wuzeller, who plays Pan Am in Cyberpunk 2077, also done a, a number of roles over the years. Emily, how's everything going? Hey, good. Happy to be here. Can you just talk about how you got involved with Cyberpunk? It was a pretty
0: traditional uh, <laughs> pathway, I guess. My agent sent me an audition for a project that I did not know was, in fact, this video game. And I auditioned, and then when they booked the job, she told me what game it was, and that's that's it. I didn't even know who Pan Am was going to be in, the, in terms of you know, her significance in the game at all when it, when it was booked.
1: Do you usually get any material ahead of time and know what you're reading or is it right there on the spot?
0: For the most part, it's right there. Yeah. They, they really try not to, they don't give the actors too much. The the less that they can have materials floating around in the world, the better.
1: So. Okay. Okay. That that makes sense. I never thought of it that way. Okay. That's, That's awesome to know. A nice fun fact about voice acting. So Mm-hmm. Since you didn't know much or if any of the material coming into it, did anybody tip you off? Did your agent or somebody say, Hey, by the way, it's this is a game by CD Project Red, who created a little game called The Witcher 3? Did you have any idea just the, the scope of this project?
0: Well, once I found out what the project was, um, then of course I knew because I have a lot of friends who are hardcore gamers. <laughs> um, and I had I didn't talk to them about it, but I had heard over the years about CD Projekt Red and, of course, Witcher.
1: Cyberpunk, like a lot of games like that, they're open world, not just deep when it comes to missions, side quests and content and everything else, but dialogue. I mean, tons and tons of dialogue. How, how long were the days? How often did you have to uh, recite different lines and everything? For
0: games, we usually we have a director. And so the director is doing a lot of the um, guidance And and helping with shaping of scenes. Uh, The director that I worked with the most was Pierce O'Toole, which shout out to you, Pierce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's amazing. He did a really, really great job. Um, So smart and so articulate and so like just with it. Um, But yeah, so we we run through scenes. We do a few takes. Um, I did not have any direct. Uh, interaction with any of the other actors. So we record our scenes all separately. It's really the director that's the glue that keeps everything together. Um, And sometimes a creative, somebody from the creative side on CD Projekt Red directly like a writer or something would be present which helped a lot too. Um, Yeah. And so you go in for uh, typically booked for four hour sessions. Um, So you're going through as much as you can in four
1: hours. I'm assuming you saw the finished product. Have you had a chance to play the finished product and kind of play as or with Pan Am?
0: I have not yet. Um, I'm sure everybody feels a little bit differently about this, but (laughs) at this point I've been in voiceover long enough that I'm comfortable with my own voice, but I mean, that's a lot of gameplay with, with myself, you know what I mean? Like I, I'd be more interested perhaps in, in some other fantastical world in like continuing to be Pan Am and playing with the other characters. You know what I mean? I don't know that I really want to be a V and play with myself, but so I, if I, you know, when I do get around to playing the game, I would play V and probably play with the other characters i still even if i do play the game
1: i wouldn't be playing with
0: myself <laughs> i know what i did i don't need to like <laughs> go back and hear it all like over again and yeah
1: hey so. if it makes you feel better i've been doing broadcasting for years and i still find it weird sometimes when i hear my own voice and like narrations and things like yeah. that it's like oh man like i sound like that like all right i'm enough like i, I said it the first time i don't need to hear it
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly although i will say that you know she the way they animated her is gorgeous she's she's beautiful so i wouldn't mind seeing that i just yeah (laughs) i don't want to have to listen to myself
1: (laughs) understood and i know with some voice actors that i've interviewed in the past sometimes they get face scanned or do any kind of motion capturing as well did you get face scanned or motion captured at all when you were doing the game
0: no not for this no
1: okay because there was a lot of debate at the time of the release of the game like. Who is Pan Am? And like they had, they identified one actress, but it turned out to be you and everything else. So, all right, that's that's kind of fun. So they face scanned somebody else, but you did the voice.
0: Well, I don't know if they face scanned somebody else, but they did not use my face. So I don't, I don't know. They might have built her from scratch. I have no idea how they actually did it. Um, but they didn't use my face. So okay,
1: there we go. At least we solved one part of the mystery. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. There you go. Now you've done. So many projects. If somebody hits up your IMDb page, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's very impressive, spectacular Mm. career so far up to this point. But I'm curious for you, how did you get into acting? Did you dream about being a voice actor? Did you see yourself more uh, on stage or uh, in the silver screen? How did it all start for you?
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, Well, I have been performing since I was in utero. My, um, My mother was part of a Chinese folk dance group in L.A., and she performed when she was eight months pregnant with me. Um, so very early on, obviously, dance was an important thing to her. Um, as a Chinese immigrant, her parents neither had enough money nor saw the value in her doing any kind of extracurricular art classes. So when she became an adult and had a family of her own, she wanted to be able to give me and my sisters the opportunity to do that. So. And she was fortunate enough to, you know, have a steady salary to um, be able to afford that. So we did sort of city classes, county classes and local, local private stuff um, within the Chinese American community in, um, in Southern California. And so, yeah, I started dancing and my father was um, a professional musician before he settled down with the family. So he played guitar. And so we always had music. And I always sang with him. So I was singing and dancing from the very beginning. And then once I started getting more involved in school, then theater started folding into that. Um, but very early on, I identified being a voice as something that would be awesome to do, you know, as a, a Disney character or something like that, right? That, those are my first um, introductions to the to the art. And then, as I got older, I never really had a super strong, never really had a super strong desire to get on screen. Um, growing up in LA, for better or for worse, gave me a very particular perspective on the industry. And um, we definitely had the opportunities as mixed kids in the '80s to do commercial work and, and things like that. I think I did one, I did one spot for LA kids. When I was like, oh gosh, eight or nine, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were performing for the Monterey, Monterey Park, which is a, a city in LA, the Monterey Park City Hall, because it was Chinese New Year and we always performed all around LA during Chinese New Year. And LA Kids was there filming it and they were like, hey, you and you and you, like you kids, come here, just help us do the opening sequence to this to this LA Kids spot. You know, I mean, this is like, this is still the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> or I guess it would have been early nineties, maybe. Um, and so that happened, but other than that, yeah, never a real strong desire for a film, but I did love being on stage that, um, that felt like a second home to me. So yeah, voiceover and stage has always been kind of my thing.
1: That's awesome. And it's crazy. So you've pretty much been in showbiz or, or, Sort of tied to showbiz pretty much your entire life, which is pretty awesome. And obviously, actors still you know, have multiple projects, things of that nature. Sometimes you're on a series for a cup of coffee. Sometimes you're on for for several years. When did you realize? I don't know if the if the right phrase made it, but when did you realize? Okay, I'm in, I'm firmly entrenched here, and I I'm getting consistent work.
0: Arguably, that's still questionable for me. <laughs> I don't know that an that an actor. I mean, maybe if you skyrocket into sort of a list status and you make enough money and you're smart enough with that money to be able to feel financially secure that, you know, you feel like, Oh, okay. I'm like here now. Yeah. <clears throat> but I feel like even the people who win the big awards, the the Tonys and the Grammys and the, you know, the Oscars that they, I don't know how secure even they feel, you know? I mean, they call it a curse right after you get, the one big award that you you their next few movies will be really bad I mean at least you'll have those movies that's something <laughs> we're not talking about the quality of the work we're talking about getting work right yeah. um yeah so I don't know I think it's still kind of a question for me but I don't question my own ability as an artist as much anymore which is another a different a different thing um But yeah, I've been doing... So the vast majority of my voiceover work is in audiobooks. Um, And that I started doing full-time beginning at the end of 2012. So I had started that aspect of it in 2009. But so I've been doing full-time voiceover since then. So I guess we're coming up on nine years now.
1: There's always still that kind of... Working mental, working actor mentality in the back of your mind because with showbiz, I mean it's well, it's you know, good to get. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't very rarely do you get signed on to something that is for sure going to last for a significant amount of time. It's always like, okay, cool. Are you available tomorrow for this thing that's going to run next month? Yes. Okay. What What are you doing next month? Well, I don't know. We'll see what comes up. You know. Like yeah. it's, yeah. So
1: at some point you lived in Hong Kong for a while, right?
0: Mm-hmm. For a short time. Yeah. A couple years.
1: Okay. And so you lived in Hong Kong. Were you primarily working on anime then?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, my first job when I was there was teaching dance, um, jazz and ballet at a local studio. Um, but I was gigging a lot. I was doing shows. I was doing singing and dancing and theater and then teaching dance during the day. And through that network of actors um, who were English speaking actors who were there, um, I got connected to the audition for the dubbing gig. And that's that's how that started. So, yeah. So but for the majority of the time that I was there, I ended up doing dubbing for anime and commercials and films and stuff.
1: Including Pokemon, right? Which I'm a big I'm a big Pokemon fan, so I, I had to mention that.
0: Nice. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon actually happened when I came back to the States. Um, but yeah, the other, the other shows, some of the ones are um, my melody. Um, I played Kuromi in that and Yaktate and Jinban Galeidoscope. And um, oh gosh, there were so many shows. We did a, we did a season a week. So wow. yeah. There <laughs> so voice is though... like everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere, yeah. Well, I don't know where they are now. They We weren't allowed to have copies of our work because it was Hong Kong, so there was no union. In the U.S., we have SAG-AFTRA, which I, of which I'm a member. Um, but, yeah, before that, it was no union, so nobody could uh, was keeping watch on how much pay we got or what our breaks were or any access to uh residuals or copies of work or anything like that. So as far as I know, it's it's out in the world somewhere. <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs> so I, I was actually gonna ask that, like what's the biggest difference between Hong Kong and, and Hollywood? And it seems like the lack of unionization. I mean, is that just a not a thing there? Or is it just not in, not encouraged?
0: Not as far as I know, it's not a thing there. But you know, it's a it's an issue in the U.S. too, and we have SAG-AFTRA at least. But um, there is a lot of work that is non-union that also is in the U.S. So. And anything that is non-union is going to be subject to the Wild Wild West.
1: You also have a a pretty cool side project. If I have the name correctly, it's called Nice and Naughty.
0: Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's one series. Um, The company is called Love Bites Originals. Um, And yeah, it is, it's a side project of love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a, A fellow actor and narrator and writer, um, she and I connected a few years ago and realized that we had very similar visions about what we wanted to put out into the world. And so we got together and it is very much a side project. Um, we have to take our time with it. We do have a Patreon page because the more financial backing we get for it, the faster we can produce more. Um, but so far we have our just our, our baby first season mm-hmm. um, and we're working on seasons two and three very actively right now. So hopefully those
1: will be out so, without giving too much away, of course, of the story mm-hmm. and everything, can you just describe it a little bit for anybody that might want to contribute to the Patreon?
0: Sure. yeah, yeah. it's it's short story, romance, and erotica. Um so we wanted to put out uh, shorter bits. The romance industry in the audiobook industry within the audiobook industry is huge. Um, there's a huge, huge um, number of people who are were voracious readers and listeners. But it is in novel form, and we figured it would be nice to be able to have short stories that were also curated by both she and I to be very sex positive and to have all kinds of people from all walks of life, all ages, all sizes, all colors, all orientations, all genders, like mix it up, right? Like sometimes the romance genre, I think it's less so now, but sometimes it can get very bogged down in um, story tropes and stereotypes and these types of things. I mean, arguably that's why a lot of the listener readers listen or read to that because they, they don't want anything that's going to challenge them. They want that very stable stereotype or the archetype of the story or anything, but we wanted to put something out that was a little more colorful. So that's what, that's what we're doing is we're, yeah, we're, building a community of writers too. So if you're a writer and you're interested in writing queer, colorful (laughs) or mixed company, uh, romance or erotica, let us know. Cause we're, we're super open to building
1: our world. This is probably a silly question, but I would imagine with the explosion of audible and just audio in general with podcasting that that industry is just kind of blown up, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been on the rise. and and know that it was during the recession, not terribly affected. It was one of the few industries that was continuing to grow. Um, I don't know how well the industry has done over the course of the pandemic, but it certainly has not really slowed. So I don't know if it's continued to grow, but it's definitely still alive and kicking.
1: Would you say with, with video games and, and just voice acting in general that I don't say they're pandemic proof, but they weren't as harmed by the pandemic compared to some other industries like say, you know, Broadway.
0: Yeah. And compared to other aspects of performing arts for sure. Yeah. Because it is something that you can do from home if you have the proper setup. Um, And you're willing to, because when you're doing it from home, you don't have a director, you don't have an engineer, you don't have anybody else on the creative team. And then you have all of the normal from home issues that, that can pop up
1: now before we get you out of here we always like to ask our guests some quick hit questions just you know kind of rapid fire some fun random questions just for people to get to know you better are you ready okay <laughs> favorite late night snack or cheat meal
0: oh god
1: cheese just any kind of cheese yes okay there you go You you can't go wrong <laughs> <laughs> what was your first gaming role
0: this goes back um Sink, i think general kim i think i played a general in in some game that was out of the ukraine or something like that
1: all-time favorite actor okay um
0: i'll
1: I'll give mm -hmm. you two choices we could do like you know the quote-unquote traditional actor and then if there's a a voice actor you happen to admire you know since i don't think voice actors get enough love feel free to agreed
0: agreed. agreed voice actors don't get enough love i'm gonna give you a few okay favorite male gene kelly favorite female. Frances McDormand and favorite audiobook narrator. Okay, so this is what audiobook people are a tight-knit community. We're really, we're really tight. I love you all, but I love January LeVoy. I think she's amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask you if you weren't an actor, what would you be? But I know you have like this whole background in showbiz. So I'm gonna <laughs> rephrase it. If you weren't in show business, if your parents weren't in showbiz, what would you be doing right now?
0: i be working in environmental science and combating climate change, 100%. I've, it's always been my background. Uh, I have a science background, and I have always thought, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to pick that back up, and I'm going to get into the field.
1: So you have a science... Do you have a science degree, or did you study environmental yeah,
0: science? I, yeah, I took pre-med classes in college and had a, a minor in nutritional sciences at UC that's, Berkeley.
1: That's fantastic. Well, you know what? If, if they ever do a captain... Planet Reboot. They they should definitely cast you.
0: <laughs> That'd be amazing.
1: <laughs> All-time favorite movie or series? Mm, singing in the Rain. What role did you play that you most related to? Or I guess what character did you play that you most related to personally?
0: Most related to... I mean, I've played a lot of characters in books that have been pretty spot on. But for video games, I think Am definitely wins for that. Yeah, I really got her. I understood her.
1: Did you get to do any of the traditional media you normally would do for a big production like cyberpunk or did the pandemic kind of curtail that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. As far as I know, the pandemic curtailed it. I didn't I certainly didn't do any of the. The pre-things, there were a few things that, like, Keanu did, and I think Jeremy might have done. Um, But, yeah, I, I wasn't involved in those. So if anything was going to happen later, <laughs> yeah,
1: didn't happen. So, so you didn't get to meet Keanu Reeves and ask him to say Arasaka in person, did you?
0: No, I didn't. But, Keanu, I want to meet you. I really, really want to meet you, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, was really, he was really good in that game, too. And, uh, you know, just... Uh, you know, my friends and I had a drinking contest. Every time we heard him say Arasaka, you know, it's like, why <laughs> like, find somebody as passionate as Johnny Silverhand about taking down the man? You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. He did a great job for
1: sure. What's your most awkward career moment?
0: Ooh, awkward career moment. Um... Oh gosh. I've learned to take everything that's awkward and turn it into like, I mean, this sounds so f- excuse my french that's all good it's not so cliche but like truly like i i my bar for what is awkward and what's embarrassing is basically non-existent like it's really hard to embarrass me so any awkward moment would be like you know something i would learn from so i that's my terrible answer to your question
1: (laughs) that's cool all right there you go There you go. Actually, you can relate to Pan Am. Both of you guys have thick skin, so that's good.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's just kind of like, whatever, dude. (laughs) You do you, I'm gonna do me. And if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, who cares?
1: Voice acting. What are some do's and what are some don'ts? Let's just say an aspiring actor is watching this, you know, they want to break into the industry. Maybe they just started, got their first gig. What are the biggest do's and don'ts of the voice acting industry?
0: Do study and practice. Um, take coaching take lessons don't assume that just because everybody in your life has always told you that you have a nice voice that that means that you're also an actor they're different things so learn how to be an actor Um, and take your time it takes a really long time and you may never you may never feel like you've fully made it (laughs) um but yeah i'd I'd say just don't put all don't put all your eggs in in that one basket treat it with respect give it the time and dedication that it needs but also know that it's going to take a really long time if ever you can get to a full-time position and so you know i always had five different jobs going at the same time um and that's just kind of the reality of the way it is
1: you mentioned you taught ballet right
0: uh, yeah well i taught
1: yes to babies i taught ballet mm-hmm.
0: but mostly i'm a jazz and modern and and ballroom and chinese dance those oh, are my specialties wow but,
1: mm-hmm. with, with ballet i've interviewed a, a couple of ballet dancers before and what y'all go through and what they and what they go through is is, is, is crazy as far as like the, the the physical limits they they push themselves to uh what would you say is like the biggest misconception about uh ballet? Kind of random kind of a random question, but when you said ballet, it triggered me because I interview fighters, full disclosure, I also interview fighters, combat sports athletes. And sometimes oh, nice. they'll say they'll, and sometimes they'll say, Oh, you know, this ain't ballet. And I'm thinking, ballet's not easy, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, there you go. That's a big misconception about ballet, is that it's easy. Um, I'll say this for maybe all of dance instead. Um because I I don't want to speak on on for, for ballet when that's not my specialty. Um, so, so
1: yeah, biggest biggest misconception on dance uh,
0: that it's for girls, a number one, um, and yeah, and that it's and that it's easy at certainly at the professional level. Um, I mean anybody can dance. I will say that, and then I will also say that if you want to dance at the professional level you do need years and years and years of training in addition, daily training. There were people who were like, that I knew that I, that I came into in the performing arts world who were like, Oh yeah, I dance. I'm a mover. They're like, Oh, Oh great. Well, you know? Tell me, tell me more about this because I've, you know, literally every single day of my life since I was a wee lass, you know, talk to me and they'll be like, yeah, I took a tap class once, once a week for like a semester. And I'm like, Great. I am glad that that became, that that was something that you could do, but that does not make you a dancer. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry if that applies to you, but if it applies to you, don't call yourself a dancer. Just say you took a dance class. <laughs> like, dancers are, they're a different breed, I think. Yeah.
1: Awesome tremendous insight there I, I appreciate it and i actually i appreciate all your insight not just on your own career but on the industry and, and showbiz as a whole because i think there again there's a lot of misconceptions a lot of people think it's easy the people that are good and great they make it look easy but they don't see all the work that goes into it
0: that's right it's yeah you have to be extremely lucky and hard-working and talented to some degree um to and all of that needs to be working in order for it to to make sense and you have to really want it um because it is so hard so if you don't want it enough other things are going to become more attractive to you and for good reason there's nothing wrong with that you know but with very few exceptions of like what I call the cult of personality I mean I didn't make that up but You know, with except for the handful of people that get put and become mega stars because of their own personal personality, it happens because you have honed your work and your craft and you've made connections and you've been honest and had full integrity. And like people see that and they respect that and then they want to hire you. So it takes a long time to build that cred.
1: Well, I was going to ask you what the best piece of advice is you give anybody for success, but I think. You, you pretty much it there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's probably what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I really do appreciate the time. Uh, before we let you go, where can fans find you online?
0: On Instagram, I am Zwooman. That's Z W O O M A N. Uh, I'm technically also on Facebook. I'm not very active on Facebook. I'm generally not very active on social media in general. But um, but I am on Instagram and I am on Twitter with the same handle Z W O O M A N. And cool. Love Bytes Originals is love, B-Y-T-E, B-Y-T-E-S Originals.
1: Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for the time. You can check Emily out, of course, in the various work she's involved in, especially Cyberpunk 2077, where she plays Pan Am Palmer. Emily, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks for having me.